Welcome to Self-Compassionate Professor, a career wellness podcast for mid-career and recovering academics who want more. More meaning, balance, rest, joy, and more clarity. Our motto here is no regrets. So glad you're here. Welcome, welcome. This is episode 98, and I'm Danielle Delamar. Thank you so much for being here. So much of this episode is about embodiment. I talked to Dr. Patricia Bonnard, who does embodiment work with her clients, as well as, you know, energy work and coaching. But in the spirit of embodiment, Perhaps you could take a second and check in and see how you're feeling right now. Just maybe noticing the discomfort in your body or the pain in your body or if you're feeling really connected and calm, noticing that. So I loved my conversation today with Dr. Patricia Because she talks so much about going inward in order to find your way, right? Going inward when you feel stuck. Going inward when you feel confused. And I guess also what I loved about this interview is that Patricia is very much like, do what you want to do, right? Check with yourself And use that as the compass. Do not pay attention to all the external noise, all those expectations around you, all those ideals. And that message just resonates so much because, well, one, I believe it wholeheartedly. And that is why I do what I do. But two, if you really just turn in and follow the compass within, notice how much pressure falls away. Notice how much more open you feel how much more comfortable you feel in your body. This is absolutely key to making a good career decision. So yay, I'm so, so, so excited to introduce you to Dr. Patricia Bonnard. Here she is now. Thank you so much for joining our conversation today. I'm talking to Dr. Patricia Bonnard, workplace life coach, embodied practitioner, and energy healer at Star Chaser. Star Chaser Coaching, right? Integrated Coaching. Yes? Yes. How's it going, Dr. Patricia Bonnard? How are you? I'm doing really well. How about you? Actually, pretty well. I took like a a two-week sort of committed break. <laughs> that helped a lot. I'm feeling like, like myself again. Um, and I guess actually... Uh, and here we are on the podcast talking a lot about wellness and academia. And I will say that that is not something I knew how to do as an academic. Um, how, how about you? I know, I mean, you've had a, an interesting career path as well. Um, starting as sort of an academic, maybe you didn't start there, but what was your sort of wellness practice like as an academic and what is it like now? Yeah, you know, I think I was probably like you when I started. I was just so gung-ho and so um, wanting to be able to succeed and learn everything and all the rest of that, that I I burned those late hours like everybody else. 
Um, but I think, and so in my master's program, I pretty much was that way. But by the time I had gotten to the PhD, um, and I had paused in between the, the two degrees, so it was a, a bit of time, um, I had started running, so I ran, and um, I picked up um, Transcendental Meditation at the university. Uh-huh. And so I started doing that all the time. And I just, I had a different frame of mind. You know, I still had to work hard and I still, you know, like all the students kind of overdid it, but I tried to take myself out of the frenetic, you can always do more mode. And one of the ways I did that was when I was, once I was um, completed my comprehensives and I was ABD, I left and I went to Washington and joined a research institute. And I, then I wrote my dissertation from, from DC. I just didn't want to be immersed in the mania. Yeah. And so, and it went really well. I mean, I planned my dissertation time horizon and I blew my uh, major professors, um, major advisors, uh, mind because I defended like within two days of the day I had told them. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. So first of all, you, at what point did you say, oh, you know, I don't think I like the way this whole thing is playing out for me. I'm going to do it differently. And I'm not going to sort of rely on the people around me as models. Like, when did you know to do that? I mean, I know you said you were meditating and running, but like, what kind of support did you have outside of academia to, to help you along that path? Oh, oh, none. Um, ah. I guess what I what I had was um, my personality <laughs> because um, I've always wanted to do things like I always look at something and say, well, does it have to be done like that or could I do it different? And so there were things that that I had decided in my life that were really important, which was like being able to be outside and being able to um, eat well and Um, I, you know, I just, I just looked for the opportunities to make more of what I wanted. And so when I saw things like that, like that, I got pulled into the mania, I realized, okay, time to find something else. When I realized that I was just hanging out at the, at the real hot offices, then um, hanging out at the student offices and then going for dinner for just really, you know, bar food and stuff like that. I started to just cook on the weekend and made whole messes of meals that I just put in my freezer and in my fridge so I could come home and have a menu of healthy foods. So I just, you know, I would look at things and just go, I don't really like this picture. How can I change it? And I've always done that. Okay, so we just talked, uh, what, last week, a couple weeks ago about multi-potentialites. And (laughs) I want to know if this has something to do with that. So first of all, tell us what a multipotentialite is. And then secondly, did your like need to change things or to see different ways? Is that related? You know, I'm, I'm not sure. I think it's probably a combination because um, I have always had sort of an out of the box way of thinking. And I always have kind of pushed back on authority, you know, to to my detriment at times, but also, you know, in a good way as well. 
So I think I have that in my personality, but I didn't realize what a multipotentialite was until much, much, much later. But um, so a multipotentialite is somebody who is interested in a lot of different things. And so they can be um, sort of a serial multipotentialite in which they go from one thing to another thing to another thing. And it doesn't have to be in rapid you know, succession. It can just be that they get into something and they can perform excellently at it and get you know, really involved in it and do a whole lot and be a, um, a high performer. But then, you know, then they just decide they want to switch. They want a different kind of challenge or that that there's something that's related to this that they now want to dig into. And so they end up shifting. So that's the sort of sequential one. And then there are people who multipotentialize who like to do a lot of things at once. And so that's that, you know, we, we all know that kind of person that just is able to effectively um, work on multiple different things at the same time. And then they'll switch them out. So, um, so the nice thing about multipotentialites is they tend to look at an issue, a problem, something that they're working on with other people, and they'll have a lot of alternative views, a lot of uh, thinking out of the box, a lot of lateral drift. Um, and um, so they can bring in a lot of creativity and a lot of new ideas. Um, but they also because they can have so many ideas, they need to sort of be reined in. And so they pair really well with someone who can be, um, you know, sort of more constant and plodding along, but not rigid to not hear what the potential multipotentialite says. Okay. So that kind of gives the, the feel, I hope, um, for the multipotentialite. Yeah, no, it does. That's great. That's great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I can say in my life, I behaved a bit like a multipotentialite in that um, I found myself always reading about other disciplines, even though I had a tremendous amount to do in my own discipline. And I, <laughs> yeah. and I ended up having a, a double um, PhD. And then from there, I found myself actually working um, with other types of people. So, uh, for example, I was an um, agriculture and natural resource economist. And so I and I worked in development, international development and so and on poverty alleviation. And, and so a big issue in that is people's food security and people's nutrition and their health. So it was just natural to hang out with nutritionists and help people and, and find out what's going on within a household and not just in the field. And um, and because I worked in poverty alleviation and in these places that were really vulnerable to floods and and um, drought and sometimes conflict and all the rest of that kind of stuff, then I started doing what I do in relief work. And so, you know, I just moved around and moved around within, you know, this sphere, unlike a lot of people who have PhDs, they will really dig deep. And they'll dig deep on a certain topic and they'll become, you know, just really, really um, specialized and well-known and full of articles and such uh, along one aspect of a discipline. Mm -hmm. Okay. So tell me how this sort of played out um, when you left academia. Um, how did it 
feel to leave academia? Was it something that just was part of sort of the flow of your life that you were okay with? Did you have any sort of resistance like many of us do when we make a decision that big? Um, I sort of, I sort of had a different approach because I realized that I, I, I didn't really want to be in one place. I didn't really want to be at a land grant college um, because they're all in the middle of nowhere um, because I wanted to do this international work, right? So I wanted to be more where the international action was, which was Washington DC at the time. And of course we're talking before all this computerized everything. So, you know, you really had to be in front of people. And I was also very, very practically mi practical minded. I like to solve problems. I like to see what people were doing. I like to, that kind of thing. Uh, instead of being, I read a lot on theory, but I didn't really like to, to do kind of theoretic research. And so for me, I already knew I was looking for my way that I could um, be in Washington, D.C., that I could be working overseas, that I could be very applied, and I wouldn't have a boss. Mm. And so I chose to be a consultant and just make my own mini little consulting firm. And so that's what I did. I did my own mini consulting firm. But I also did contracts with universities, so I was in and out and in and out and in and out. And then, like... I remember when we were talking, you said that when you were in consulting, there came a point where you were just like, no, nope, I can't do this anymore. I've got to just make a decision and go. Because it was like on your mind, right? It was sort of eating at you. And then you finally just said, okay, I got to I gotta change it up. Um, so tell us a little bit about how that played out. Yeah. So I was, I was in it for a long time. I did the international work and relief work and stuff like that for... Um, a long time. Um, it was great. The multi-potential light in me. I worked for, you know, universities. I worked for research institutes, NGOs, uh, consulting firms, um, international organizations like the World Food Program and and um, uh, Food and Agricultural Organization of the UN. You know that kind of thing. Just a World Bank. All these different um, entities. And so it was moving, moving, moving. Um, but after a while. I, you know, there were, there were parts of me that I didn't get um, to get into. When you travel all the time, you can't do things like you can't take classes because you're not around. So you can't, you can't finish them. You can't have a dog because you're not around. So you can't take care of them. Uh, some of your friends and a lot of your friends, since they're also working internationally, I mean, no one ever knows when anyone's around. So sometimes you just bump into people because you don't think necessarily to locate that, you know, call someone or whatever it is, because the assumption is always they're overseas, you know? Uh, so, okay. um, yeah, so there are aspects of life that, that, that I wasn't, um, that I was, I was missing a bit. I was thinking, wouldn't it be kind of nice, but on the aspect of work, you know, and doing that kind of work and continuing to, to be in my same discipline, I knew that I wanted to do more of something else that was important in me. And that was one directly work with individuals. I mean, I worked with people in the field, but it wasn't like one on one, you know, it's working within a village and that kind of stuff. And two, I had always been interested in energy work, alternative healing, 
and all this kind of stuff. And so I, you know, and I, I started to learn things um, when you could start taking things online, when things were, were um, virtual, right? They were, they, people started putting some of their classes on there. So I started taking some of them. And I started taking this information with me and I started using it on the people that I worked with in the field, <laughs> you know. And so sometimes people would would uh, email me after a while and say, hey, when you come, can you do a treatment and you know, stuff like that. Um, so it's a process, you know, a process of realizing I'm enjoying this, I'm enjoying this, I'm enjoying this. And I um, and I just decided at one point that if I really wanted to make a switch about something, that I, that I needed to make it, you know, I really needed to commit to it rather than try to keep this dual life going, particularly since one was overseas and one was here. Mm. And, um, and I just, I, I just, um, I slowly dwindled the consulting down, you know, so it was like an adjustment and adjustment and adjustment. And it's a lot what I, what I work with with clients too, is that when you're making a decision, you don't have to make a decision decision for all or nothing at all. You know, you can start giving yourself a taste. You can start pulling back on one aspect and jump onto another thing. You know, you can do this process and just keep on seeing what's keeping you going, what's enlivening, what's, you know, what's the path that you like, and you just keep on moving on it. So this sounds a whole lot like the way you described your PhD program. Like I realized what was missing and then I went and opened this door and found the stuff that um, I actually needed. The, I'm thinking like the, the sort of longing you had for, you know, being in a one place and working with one-to-one -one, in one-to-one -one situations with clients in, uh, like you said, energy work and alternative healing. Tell us for those people who are like, what is this energy work thing? Tell us about what it is. Um, and then I also want to talk about the embodied practitioner. Okay. So I actually, I would like to talk about all of them at once if I could. Mm, yes. The okay. idea. So wait, so, yeah. so when you say all of them, we're talking, we're talking workplace life coach, Embodied practitioner, energy healer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. it's sort of like taking conventional coaching um, practices, using embodied practices and doing energy work and just doing it in a way that supports my clients. So not everybody is open to everything that I do, but those who are can benefit from that. And the reason why I kind of came to this again, it was one of these um saying, I think this could be helpful or see something's not really working over there. So what do I need to plug in? Mm -hmm. And so um, I started with the energy healing. And what I realized is that people would come to me when they just wanted like a quick fix. You know, they wanted to feel balanced. They needed to sleep. They, you know, would do like a recharge. Um, and they were very specific about it, that they wanted an energy healing. Um, and I noticed that when they came back again, they sort of were always coming back with the same problems because they never did anything different uh, so that they wouldn't get all out of balance and that they would get better sleep habits or whatever the issue was. And so I started to look for ways that, um, 
you know, I might be able to, to make some suggestions and things like that. So I started to make some suggestions and people started telling me, you know, you're really good at, you know, having so much information and uh, giving so many different ideas. You'd make a great coach. And at that time I was like, what's a coach, you know? <laughs> and I kept on hearing this thing, you make a great coach, you make a great coach. And so I thought, you know, maybe I ought to figure out what a coach is. So I went and I got myself a coach just to see what coaches do. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I didn't want to have a coach who was just um, going to ask me a lot of powerful questions. I wanted a coach who was kind of like a, um, uh, a dreamer and a schemer and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and of course, I found a Martha Beck coach because she does a lot of that stuff. She does a lot of these things which are, you know, kind of uh, deeper relating and that kind of thing. And I love that coach. I got so into it. And my, um, my lust for knowledge and going deep made me in about, I don't know, a couple of months just say, you know what, I'm going to take the course because I really want to know all this stuff really well. And I want to apply it and use it. And I might just become a coach, but I just want to know it all. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, that, so that's how the coaching got added on there. And, but then I realized there was kind of a, uh, a missing piece because people either were doing energy healing, they're all open-minded and all the rest of that stuff, or they were doing coaching. And it was hard to draw some of the people, some of the, the people that were not really exposed to energy healing to the notion of energy healing, even though I, I could see that they could really use it. And the energy healers you know, to, they were more willing to, the, the energy healing clients were more willing and able to say, oh yeah, you know, I'll, I'll do some, you know, coaching. But what I found was that the more that I did embodied practices, cause I did a bunch of them for me. I was always interested in like metaphor work, focusing, um, uh, just, you know, sensing inside and movement and dance and all these things. Um, I realized that that was a really great bridge, that people could understand that more. And that way we could work on multiple levels. Okay, so just to really clarify, this is how I'm seeing it. And you tell me where I'm wrong. On the one side you've got the energy healing and then I'm visualizing on the other side you've got the coach and then in the middle is sort of the embodied practice does that is that a good visual or is there something is something more nuanced you you could use I would put them in a circle ah (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Of course you would. That makes total sense. <laughs> yeah, I put him in a, I put him in a circle. And you okay, know, so tell me, oh yeah, go ahead. I well, I want to ask about the energy healing a little bit okay. more because this is the thing that a lot of people don't know about. So, um, what are the kinds of issues people are coming to you with when they want energy healing? Um, well, people who are well, the ones that fit into my coaching, why don't, why don't I limit it a little bit that way? Um, they're the ones that are coming and they're really stuck. 
Um, they're really, they're really overwhelmed. Um, they're feeling, they're feeling a lack of, you know, they're like searching for like meaning and direction and, um, you know, so I'd say there's two different types so the ones that are, um, sort of overwhelmed in one way or another with stuck being a very common one, um, or they're feeling like something is stuck in them, or they're feeling like every time they try to do something, for example, they get blocked, that kind of thing. And they just can't explain it anymore. So they want to come and get energy healing. Will you tell us a little bit then about what you do in an okay. energy healing to get them unstuck? Um, I move their energy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's the whole, that's the whole um, point of energy healing is that you, um, you find the imbalances, you find the um, deficits in people's energy or where things are stuck. And so they've got too much. And you help them because really energy healing is a self-healing thing. I, as a, as a healer, it's kind of a misnomer because I'm really like a facilitator. I act like a hollow bone and I channel life force energy and I, and I um, help that person access it and move it to where it needs to go. Mm-hmm. And then they balance. So can you give us an example so that we're clear about what's going on? <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, I have one example that I'd love to tell, but I'll, I'll, I'll add that, you know, afterwards. Um, okay. so energy healing generally is very subtle. Some people have a lot, some people see colors, some people feel a lot of like current or tingles or, or a kind of a, uh, cleansing wash going over them. Um, but it can be really, really subtle with, results being pretty impactful and those results can be immediate or they can be over a bit of time like a couple of weeks or or something like that it can kind of unfold i typically talk to my clients lots of energy healers don't but i like to share the experience that i'm getting because i find that when my clients are hearing what's going on and they're asking some questions about what that means they are identifying their own story in the energy, even though, even if they can't quite feel the energy, they are recognizing their story and they're letting it go. Cool. Yeah. So I really, I really like to do it that way. Now, some of what can happen, I'll give one of my, my, my favorite examples and it maybe it's, it seems a little extreme, but, there's lots of this that happens in energy healing. So I had one client who I saw a bunch of times and she even took classes from me and um, she was always stuck. She didn't like her job. She didn't like her roommate. She didn't like this area. She wanted to do more at the work that she had, but she was never getting a chance. She knew she wanted to study, but she didn't know where to, you know, where she wanted to go for sure. And it just seemed to be on a back burner. And so, and she came to many of my Reiki shares, which is where healers will do um, exchanges on each other. Ah, okay. And one evening I just said to her, you know, I'll just, I'll call her Mary. You know, I was just like, Mary, you know, I hear all the time 
all these different things about being stuck and we work with you all the time and yet you still have all these issues. Would you like to try an integrated energy therapy session? And that's more uh, or less known than um, Reiki is, right? And so I said, well, let's, why don't you try it out? So she came and she got the healing and it's actually more subtle than Reiki is even. And she was like, oh, I feel good. I feel relaxed. I feel nice. Da, 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 da. And she, she left and I said, you know, don't worry about it. We're not, we're not going to do any more of this work for at least a month because sometimes that first IET session, it takes a month. And so she didn't show up to the next chair, which was surprising because she always came to them. And then the next one, she didn't show up and, but she called me and she said, Oh, I'm sorry that I didn't come and I didn't tell you, but you know, I was sent overseas on I finally got a chance to go overseas on a project just before that last share. And, you know, I decided that, um, that I'm quitting the job. I have quit the job. Um, I'm packing up my house. I've decided to move and I've applied to this program. And I was just like, wow, Mary, do you hear yourself? And she was like, yeah. And I said, what were you stuck on for the last year that I knew you? <laughs> and she said, oh, my gosh, all of those things. And so it just happens. It just when the energy clears, you clear, you can move. So good. OK, so will you talk about what you experience when you channel it and what sort of things you might tell someone like her while you're doing the work? Um, well, I will, I will feel things like when, you know, I only gently touch someone or work over their body. So I will feel like sometimes heat or cold or when something's stuck, I'll feel, I mean, that's, we say stuck because it feels stuck. You know, if I'm running my hand over, it'll just stop or slow down or bump. Sometimes it's like a little bumpy road. Um, so I might feel things like that. Sometimes I get intuitive messages. Um, and sometimes, sometimes I get whole stories about what's going on. Um, but most, but mostly and most consistently, I'm feeling it in, in my hands in terms of something tactile or some kind of temperature thing. And so you're telling them things like this, right? Oh, I felt a bump. Oh, I feel some warmth here. Um, this is the intuitive hit I'm getting. Is that what I'm hearing? You're doing those kinds of things? No, the, okay, so the, so that kind of stuff, and I won't tell them absolutely everything because I also want them to relax, right? And sometimes they fall asleep, so I end up not being able to tell them everything. Um, <laughs> no, you know, which is a good thing, you know, it makes yeah. them more open. It makes them more open. So um, I might tell them, oh, you know, I feel a, a stuckness over here on your right hip, you know? And then I might, like, I might get some kind of thought, like, or I'll say, oh, is there anything going on over there? And sometimes they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, I was sitting really weird and this happened, or I banged my hip into a, the corner of the table, or they'll say something. Or maybe they'll start talking about their inability to move forward on a path. And so, you know, your what happens in your legs and what happens 
um, uh, on the right side of a person has a lot to do with moving forward and putting themselves out there. And so, you know, all of a sudden these things are like connected, which is really interesting. It's really interesting how all these things kind of work out. So I might talk to them a little bit about that to give them, you know, what, what, uh, what meaning it has to me. And it's up to them to go, oh yeah, absolutely. It's like this. If it's intuitive information, um, or even visual symbolic kinds of um, information, I'll ask them if they want it. And um, if they do, I give it to them, but it's, but intuition is interesting because it really, there isn't anything absolute about intuition. If, if you intuit something and it makes sense to that person who you intuited it for, then good. They should take it and use it and do with it as they like. But if it doesn't, it just doesn't. And maybe it was for you and maybe you were mistaken and maybe mm-hmm. it's for somebody else who had just been in the room. Okay. But it's, it's all just information in the field. Okay. So you've got the energy healing on one side mm-hmm. or on the top of the circle. And then you've got coach sort of at the closing up the circle. Talk about that bridge, the the embodied practice bridge. Um, and this is the way you're helping people to connect the two. Because you're saying coaching clients will come to you and be like, what is this energy healing stuff? Yes? Is that what I'm hearing? Um, they might ask me or they may just ask me uh, because they're interested in me as coach. And they're not even interested at all in the energy healing. Okay. You know, so they'll see coach and they'll read about me and then they'll go, that's what I want. Or a lot of times I get people that they want to coach, but they really like the idea that I'm um, spiritual and not spiritual in the sense of religion, but spiritual in terms of energy healing, um, consciousness and, um, you know, interrelating and all the rest of that kind of stuff. And so the embodied piece, um, how does that connect the two? Um, the reason why it connects the two is it draws people, you know, people are so focused on the external world and external cues and external markers for success and orienting themselves. And, you know, we're bombarded with information that our focus is totally off ourselves and it's totally totally on somebody else's interpretation of the world around you, which is just, is just not the best way for a human to live. So um, the first step is really just helping someone be able to turn inward and to be able to start reading um, how their experiences are embodied in themselves. Because we are really sensory um, and movement beings, you know, we start out as little sensory motor, um, beings, you know, we don't, we don't have a developed brain at all. Um, and so the way we build the world is based on these things. So we all have this whole embodied, um, experience that's woven on our insides and we can turn our attention and, learn how we're responding. For example, if I'm trying to solve a problem and I'm making the list of these are the positives and these are the negatives, I'm all in my thoughts, I'm all in my beliefs, I'm 
I'm a lot in what other people would, you know, qualify as this is a good choice, not a good choice, et cetera, et cetera. But if I take one of those choices and and just take it inside me, which is just to be with it and imagine it and taste it and feel it and be it and all the rest of it, what happens inside? Mm-hmm. And when, I mean, you know this from Martha Beck, right? But I do a lot of different types of practices, but there is one in particular. Um, and when it feels open and it feels enlivening, it's a good thing. I mean, it's telling you that this is nourishing to you. And when it's constricting or somehow feeling uncomfortable, it's not a really good thing for you. And knowing that kind of information helps you to make choices which are really authentic to you. And so if you are able to turn in and notice what's going on with your body and noticing how your body responds to different choices that you could potentially make, that then allows you to start to touch the energy piece. Yes? Yeah, yeah. It really does open people. Okay, okay. And so tell me what coaching is to you. And I know we don't have a lot of time, but I want to hear what coaching is to you now that we have your whole sort of framework, your whole circle in our, in our minds. <laughs> so what is coaching? I, coaching is just, I mean, coaching is just um, facilitating someone's journey, right? When, but for me, my, the place I really love to be is helping people be more human and access these incredible, incredible abilities we have that we we tend to ignore like this sensing we most people ignore that stuff and so I really love to to help people um, empower themselves and learn things that they can do so that they can be more self-resourced and self self-referential and in in that way end up being more authentic in their choices and I think that really is more about being human than chasing a lot of ideals and um, ideas coming from the outside, right? Um, then you can really be in the world in a way that makes you feel good, which generally will cause you to behave like a person and want connection and want to be compassionate and, um, you know, just be more open. Because that's what people are down, you know, down deep. In my estimation, that's who, that's who we are. I love it. So we are totally running out of time. And I want you to tell us how people can get in touch with you. Um, well, they certainly can visit my website. Um, I have I have two ways into the same set, um, website. It's um, starchaser-healingarts.com dot com or starchaser-coaching.com and they end up on the same website so you can always get me there and you can contact me through there and you can take a look at my blog where I write about everything that I learn about so there's just a lot of material and 
I want to just point out to my audience that uh, Patricia just uh, put out a blog post. I guess this was a little while ago now, but uh, about do you really want to quit your job? Because <laughs> that's relevant to so, too many of my listeners. Oh yeah, yeah. And in that, I do, I do do that embodied. You know, and uh, lure people to the embodied. Um, embodiment of what they're doing. So it's it's actually an interesting one because it does look at some of the different ways I, I end up coaching. Um, but I also invite people to participate in workshops that I, I have. I have them in person and virtually, and I list them all on my Star Chaser Integrated Coaching and Energy Healing uh, Eventbrite page. I mean, I'm also on LinkedIn and people can connect me through uh, LinkedIn. And I'm, I'm always interested. I'm always interested in making connections and learning what people are doing and hearing what people think about what I write or what I do in my workshops or whatever. So I would love to um, hear from, from your audience. Awesome. And one last question. Do you do the energy healing work remotely as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do do it remotely. I do not teach my certification and my energy healing certification classes remotely because I think it's so important to um, to be to be close and create like a joint energy. So those I don't do uh, remotely. Got it. Dr. Patricia Bonnard, it was such a pleasure having you. I learned so much. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate that you reached out to me and I enjoyed talking to you the first time and I enjoy talking to you this time and I hope I can have that enjoyment again in the future. Oh, ditto. Thanks for listening to Self-Compassionate Professor. Find me on LinkedIn at Danielle Delamar, on Twitter and Instagram at Danielle SC Prof or schedule a free coaching consult at selfcompassionateprofessor.com. Be well.